Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To Euro Graps Express, I'm your host Neil David, and we are back once again with all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene. Huge show uh, this fortnight. We've got two big wrestling shows to talk about. We've got WXW back to the roots, and obviously, Alive in London from Red Pro. We can't let Alive in London go without gazing a critical eye over it and and picking it apart needlessly for our own sick pleasure. And um, WXW are kind of my New Year's resolution, I think. I I tend to find with WXW, I I get really into them at the start of the year, really enjoy them, I think they're a great promotion, and then it just sort of falls off as time goes on. Whereas I'm really determined this year for them to be a, 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 a really important company for Eurograps Express. So we, we're going to look at them in, in, in quite a bit of detail, I'm hoping. Uh, I will muddle through it anyway. Now, obviously, this show, you know by now that we, we tend to focus on shows that I've seen. We'll look at a show match by match. We'll talk about it and we'll, we'll go off on tangents and we'll talk about all sorts of crazy things. But we like to talk about the wrestling. But... There's often big news and we can't not talk about NXT UK dying or, or, you know, WWE casting their filthy fingers all over the island. Um, And if something big happens, we've got to have a take on it. We've got to come on and talk about it. And I thought the big piece of news that we'd be talking about on this episode was the John Moxley OTT debacle. Uh, Basically, in a nutshell, what's happening with that is... OTT a book John Moxley. Uh, great, you know. <laughs> All well and good. I've been a big advocate on this show of going to watch great wrestlers. And I've never seen Moxley live. And he's, he's one of those wrestlers that I'd love to see to tick him off as much as anything. And experience that live feeling. Um, and AEW have announced house shows. And put John Moxley on the poster. On the same day. And I know I'm supposed to have some sort of analysis about this, but my only analysis is, analysis is, what are you playing at OTT? We need to know. 
And I don't know if it's OTT's fault. I don't know if it's AEW's fault. I don't know if it's just a genuine mistake. But the last thing we've got from Joe Cabray is we understand there is some confusion on John Mox's appearance at Scrapamania. We're working with AEW and we should have news coming soon. But we've had no news. I just, I really feel like this is something that needs sorting out. You know, this is one of those things that 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 needs to be um, decided. Because I'm one of those people, as I say, I it's John Moxley that's the draw. You know, call me old fashioned, call me, uh, you know, a, a, a stuck in the mud old man. But it's stars that sell tickets, isn't it? And if you're put. You know, name a bigger wrestling star in the world than John Moxley. There are some that are in the conversation, but John Moxley is like nuts, especially if he's coming to Europe. It's a huge event. It's a huge deal. Going to be all sorts of people in that room that have got tickets to see John Moxley. And we don't know whether he's coming. And this has been going on a while now. I mean, it's February 12th now. Well, 11th really, because it's the middle of the night. But this was tweeted out on February the 9th. So we've had a few days now where we're all kind of twiddling our thumbs, wondering what's going to happen with John Moxley. I mean, obviously, by the time this goes up, we, we, we might know, but it's, I don't know, I... I I mean, cards are subject to change, aren't they? But these cards are subject to change, and these cards being subject to change. You know, very, very different um, levels <laughs> of change. You know, this isn't Kid Lycos not turning, you know, <laughs> turning up. This is freaking, this is John Moxley. But anyway, as I say, John Moxley isn't the big news. Um, this <laughs> this fortnight, and I'm sorry, I'm delaying this, and I'm I'm sort of dancing around because I don't quite know what my take is going to be on this. I think I'm just going to have to talk about it and and see where it leads me. Um, I've really been restricting my use of Twitter for the past six months or so. Um, I'm happier. Uh, I'm 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 healthier <laughs> because of that. Uh, I, I still duck on a couple of times a week because there's people on there that I talk to uh, and it, it's the best place to do it for a lot of them and, and I appreciate that and, you know, it's, it's it's not something you can completely leave behind. If anything, it's worth it for Brit Rest Away Day's monthly calendars, you know. <laughs> that's, it's not quite worth a Twitter Blue subscription, but that's a really important service that I value. And it's also a place to get the news and I can't believe that the news that I have to talk about at the minute is Mr. Blobby. Mr. Blobby being booked in Britress. And I find it absolutely shocking that in 2023, Mr. Blobby has any semblance. I just, I mean, what do you say? I mean, it was Riot Cabaret Wrestling, which generally speaking, isn't a particularly favourite promotion of mine, if I'm completely honest with you. It's not that they're bad. It's, it's that thing of it would be it would be a bit unfair of me to watch them and review them knowing they don't really do the sort of wrestling that I like and I'm, I'm interested in. So I, I, so I, I tend to avoid them a little bit. But they booked Mr. Blobby in a rumble. And then you log on. And now everybody's talking about 
Mr. Blobby. And you're seeing things like, oh, if you don't like Mr. Blobby, you're a grumpy sod. You need to let a little bit of happiness into your life. And I'll tell you something, I have let happiness and joy into my life. I welcome happiness and joy with open arms. And it is because of that attitude that I need to stay away from Mr. Blobby. Because Mr. Blobby is nothing but misery. It's nothing but pain. Andy Quilden hit the nail on the head with this Mr. Blobby malarkey. And he said that he's really confused because I don't really understand why all these people these young wrestlers are talking about Mr. Blobby (coughs) as if they even remember what it was like to live through the dark days of Mr. Blobby. I'm in my mid to late 30s, all right? I'm I'm 36 this year, so, you know, I'm I'm clinging onto those mid 30s like a, you know, with 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 white knuckles. And when I was a kid, I remember, I barely remember him, to begin with, I'm, I must have been five, six, seven around that era. <coughs> Sorry, around that age. And believe it or not, I was an absolute snob, even at that age. And it's something that I've maintained all the way through my life. And I remember hating Mr. Blobby. And everybody hated Mr. Blobby. And it was one of those weird kind of cultural blips. Like Noel Edmonds, because he came from Noel Edmonds' house party, didn't he? And it's for the American cousins. Noel Edmonds is this, he was kind of a light entertainer. I don't know what the American equivalent would be. But he's kind of like a, would you say Jay Leno? He would be that sort of level of celebrity. He was massive, absolutely massive. Um, I'm sort of using that comparison hesitantly because I don't really know how Jay Leno is is perceived in, in, in America but Noel Edmonds was that level of celebrity like he had a weekly chat show called Noel's House Party and it, it seemed to be absolutely universally hated by everybody it was the weird bizarre come down after Gladiators which was amazing by the way and before Casualty and it, it it was this awful show where they do weird pranks on people. They'd have people knocking on the door, and you know we'd all we'd they'd laugh at sort of that rubbish British humour that that thankfully went away. You know, kind of innuendoy and a bit smutty, but family friendly at the same time. And he invented this psychic called Mister Blobby, who's essentially just exactly like the name says. Is this big pink blob with a really weird distorted voice, like Andy Quilden commentary shouting? That's what. Maybe that's maybe that's why I hate Mister Blobby so much. Actually, maybe that's just I've I've psychoanalyzed myself live on air. That because Andy Quilden's awful commentary production reminds me of Mister Blobby and the way he sounds. That's why I hate it so much, and that's why it winds me up to such a, a massive degree. So yeah, Mr. Blobby's got a couple of bookings, and suddenly we're all on the timeline pretending how great Mr. Blobby is. And as I said at the start, as Andy Quilden, to speak of the devil twice, pointed out, I don't understand how these people even remember who Mr. Blobby was. We didn't live... I, I didn't live through my sister playing the Mr. Blobby single over and over and over again, begging me dad to put it on in the car. And for some reason, my dad relenting, even though everybody else hated it. And 
<coughs> having the double misery of being dragged to me grandma's on a Saturday to be shouted at and called fat whilst listening to the Mr. Blobby soundtrack. All of this is 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 bringing up some very deep feelings, some deep insecurities that I've got, I think. Maybe, maybe the problem's not Mr. Blobby. Maybe the problem's with me. But can we? It seems like it's died off a little bit, and I, I, I really hope the Mister Blobby and Britress sojourn, the Mister Blobby and Britress holiday, the little flirtation, has come to an end, because it's it, it's abysmal, isn't it? Who wants Mister Blobby? The only good celebrity running I've ever seen live is I went to a PCW show once. And Mark the Beast Labette from The Chase did a run-in. And he did like a... He, he came, I can't even remember what the match was. But he came out as a babyface manager. And he did a heel turn halfway through the match by pushing someone off the top rope. And I enjoyed that because I should, it, it worked on a very, very realistic level. You know, Mark the, the Beast Labette is a heel, isn't he? That's the point of The Chasers on The Chase. Is that they're all, they're all dastardly heels. And he, he played us like a banjo, didn't he, by pretending it was all fun and games. Yeah, actually, he was there to do business. And I, and I, in my opinion, that's the best thing PCW ever did and ever will do. I don't think they'll ever top it. Thinking of the people who, you know, said, oh, if you don't like Mr. Blobby, you're miserable, which, again, I, I completely disagree with. It reminded me of Werner Herzog, you know, the uh, the German director, and he is, if you've not seen his films, they're very much, you know, love or hate them. I love them, but I think if you don't like them, I completely understand. But he, he did films like The Wrath of God and Fitz Carraldo, um, you know, and, and all the films were, were very, he's an auteur and he makes the art and the artist suffer for their art. And that's kind of what he's famous for. And they're all very miserable. Like Fitz Carraldo is about, in the Amazon jungle, they wanted to move a cruise ship down a, a river in the jungle and lift it across land to another river. And the way he did that was by actually having a boat and actually making the actors and the people involved in the film drag the boat. I mean, at least that's the urban legend anyway, across the jungle. And, you know, everybody was miserable and suffering for their art. And I watched a YouTube interview with him and they were clearly trying to goad him, you know, because he's a miserable sod. If you don't know him, he plays the baddie Imperial at the start of Mandalorian, weirdly. that That's him, the very straight-faced German. Like, he's a, he's a perfect member of the Imperial... Uh, the Imper- Not the Imperial Guard, that's Warhammer. <laughs> what are they called? The, like, just the Imperials. Um, and, yeah, this YouTube interview, and they, they clearly try to goad him and wind him up. And they ask him, oh, what do you think of the emoji movie? You know, expecting him to have this this um, really angry response to it. And his response is, let them have their fun. I don't care. And I, I want to reach that point with Mr. Blobby. But, you know, I've, I've been podcasting this fortnight for 12 minutes now. And I'm not yet at that point where I can just let people have their fun. Um... Maybe one day that will happen. Maybe one day I'll be able to watch a dance-off. That'll be the test, won't it? If I if there's ever a dance-off in the ring and I just go, oh, well, it's not for me, but they had their fun, then I'll know I've finally reached that miserable sense of 
sort of giving up on things that I've 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 been working towards for the past ten years. Uh, but that's not today because Mister Blobby stinks. And if you thought it was funny, then I think less of you. So um, that's my review of Mister Blobby in Brit Rest. Um, let's get reviewing some wrestling because that's what you're here for. Couple of shows to look at. Uh, we're going to look at WXW Back to the Roots, which was a very eventful show. Uh, you might have seen room, uh, well, not rumors, actual pictures, <laughs> horrendous pictures of Robert Dreisker's injury uh, going round, and then we'll, we'll drop in Dan Saf and talk about what happened in the latest live at London. So, uh, where should we go first? Uh, let's go to WXW. That I think that should be the lead because we're going to. Start as we mean to go on. We have WXW being a, a, a big thing for uh, Eurograps Express going forward. So here we go. WXW, back to the roots. So first big show of the year then for uh, WXW. Um, oh no, there was Dead End, wasn't there, uh, a couple of weeks ago, but we're, we're starting the year off as we mean to go on with uh, Back to the Roots. Um, and like I say, I'm going to really make the effort to review every major WXW show because they're always one of those promotions and I'm really guilty of this. I forget about them and I, I don't really know why because you've got Ian Hamilton doing fantastic work talking about them uh, and really raising the profile of them. And... They they draw really good houses. They do these big event weekends like the Carrot Gold and the Tag League weekends, and they're always really exciting. And and they have they do big events better than any other promotion in Europe. I think. I mean, Red Pro don't really. As I'm talking about, like the weekenders. You know, I think they're the last promotion left that could do those weekenders and still make them feel really significant. The only other company that really does them, I suppose, are Progress, and they feel like a party that nobody wants to go to. <laughs> you know? And it's, I feel like it's a bit weird that with the Progress, because it feels like nobody ever wants to talk about them. Nobody ever wants to sort of discuss them. You, you hear nothing about them online, really. Um, but then when I look at my past year's viewers, uh, listenership um, kind of numbers, the shows where I review progress always seem to do better. And I, I, I had a, like a little bit of a, a crisis of conscience, really, when, that, when I saw the numbers and went through them, because I was just thinking, does this mean I should be reviewing progress? Should I chase numbers? And I don't ask for the numbers very often for that reason, because I, I feel like I want to talk about what I want to talk about. And I'd much rather have a, a smaller audience who are on my wavelength and who like everything that I do that attract sort of randomers to listen to progress reviews. And it made me think, is it the progress reviews that people are coming for? Or are people coming to listen to me have a aneurysm being really wound up and frustrated by things? I don't know. Maybe I should seek out more bad wrestling if that's the case. I, I, I'm not sure. But for now, I'm sticking to my guns and I'm, and I'm, I'm ignoring uh, progress. If... um. If the listenership's ever like in the in the dirt and no one's listening, then I will maybe do do a progress just to boost us back up a bit. You know, pro obviously all my criticizing of progress obviously makes no difference if it's the only thing people want to hear me talk about. But yeah, WXW could do these big events and I, I don't just want to dive in for the big events. I wanna get keep us up to date and keep us thinking about 
the more day-to-day running of things. And uh, it's very, very rare that you watch a WXW show and feel disappointed. I reviewed that Body Slam joint show a couple of weeks ago, and I, I don't think it's an unfair criticism to say that Body Slam are definitely a few paces behind a lot of bigger promotions in Europe. I understand that it's a smaller market. It's it's not a, you know, Denmark isn't this huge wrestling bubble. But then again, you think of like, well, HCW in Hungary, you might have said the same thing about that. And what they do is amazing. I'm seeing some really interesting things come out of France and Italy. Um, and it just is what it is, isn't it? You know, these hierarchies and these levels to these things. But watching that show with Body Slam just really made me appreciate how good WXWR and uh, yeah I should be watching them so this Back to the Roots show we're at the uh, Turbin Haller Turbin and Haller uh, I, I apologise for my German um, pronunciations I, I, I don't intend to butcher them um, packed house great crowd as always with WXW and we start with, with uh, Lawrence Roman against Maggot for the WXW shotgun title and this match really got me thinking about what I want from my opening matches at shows. I've always been a big advocate, you know, thinking about Red Pro shows, of having like a Robbie X just come out and do a load of flips. That's what I want from my opening matches. I want excitement and passion and something to really make me feel like I've arrived at a wrestling venue and I'm about to watch some wrestling. Um, And this match wasn't really like that, but it kind of was at the same time. So, Lawrence Roman is in Amboss, which is uh, Dreiska, obviously Roman, and the and the Arrows are hungry. And they're doing this weird, just big-hard blokes, and they walk out, and they've got an, an amazingly terrifying entrance. They, they play up to the Healy stuff a little bit too much for me. Um, but I, I think they're, you know, they're a really intimidating-looking faction, you know. Arrows are hungry, I, I, I think, for... For two blokes who are such obviously brilliant, nice guys who really care about wrestling, a wrestling culture where, you know, building a wrestling culture in Hungary, they're, they're absolutely terrifying when they, when they turn it on. You know, when they go into business mode, they're terrifying. Um, and Maggot, I shouldn't like Maggot, should I? He's very much a gimmick. You know, he's got the crown of thorns and the the running makeup under his eyes and he he comes out and he's all, you know, very edgy and a bit, you know, gothy and feels a little bit forced. But I don't know what it is. There's something about Maggot that I feel like I want to watch. I feel captivated by it. Maybe it's his entrance music because he comes out to a... a if it's not a C6 Steve song, it sounds very, very much like one, and it makes me want to go away and listen to a load of uh, C6 Steve. Um, and this match was funny because they weren't really doing any of those big flips and those big openers that I was talking about. You know, they weren't. It was very much arm drags, reversals. It was it was wrestling. It felt like a very standard three star wrestling match if you watched it with the sound off. But everything was done with such an energy and such an excitement that I felt myself captivated by it and carried away with it. You know, every little moment was 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 punctuated by just a little bit of extra speed, a little bit of extra commitment. It didn't feel like 
it was an exhibition in any way. It felt like it was very competitive. Mean, it was, a, it was a, for a title, it's for a belt. So, you know, you'd expect it to be that way. Uh, but he just had a great pace. You know, and Maggot is such a great underdog. And it, it's a really hard thing to do that, I think, to be beaten down convincingly and uh, be able to stage that comeback. It's a very tried and true story in professional wrestling that you see in basically every match. But Maggot's just got something about him. You know, I, I shouldn't, he shouldn't tick any boxes on the surface of it, but then he, he's got a bit of intangible about him, and I, I really like Maggot. Unfortunately, the match was kind of thrown under the bus a little bit. Um, Ahura came out and uh, just booted baby Allison in the face. Just came out and booted her in the face. Big boot. And the commentator said, not like this. And I thought, yeah, not like this. You know, and it caused the big distraction. I mean, I suppose to give him the credit, someone booting your girlfriend in the face probably is something that would cause a distraction. You know, it's not somebody coming out and standing on a Titan Tron and causing upset that way. So, you know, give him a little bit of credit for that. But, it, you know, I just I just don't really get the way that ended. And it was a bit of a shame, really, because this match was building up to be something that I really enjoyed and was really into. Um, I think shenanigans I, 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 I can't be doing with them. Next up, we had a women's match. Uh, Ava Everett against Maria De La Rosa. Um, Maria De La Rosa, not good. You know, she came out and did this, this heel shtick. You know, I'm going to show you how good I am. And it really didn't land with me at all. It felt a bit, a bit corny and and a bit, you know, it's only a step above your local sport team sucks kind of thing. And I, I don't really think that's what was necessary. It's, it's, it seems strange to give a wrestler a microphone to let them do a bad promo when you don't really need to do the promo anyway. I don't think it would have helped the match at all by having to do a good promo or a bad promo or what. So why have it? You know, just just leave it and just have the match. Um, Ava Everett now looks like the sort of wrestler or the sort of person that would shout at me at a bus stop, you know, wearing like the gilet and she's, you know, a bit of a sort of the chav looking kind of thing. I quite like that, actually. I think that's that's a pretty decent gimmick. I think more wrestlers should have something that's that's inherently unlikable. You know, you just... <laughs> if you look like someone who yells at people at bus stops, who, who, who gets into scraps outside schools, who, you know... Uh, <laughs> who robs from the one stop you know that's 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 i think is a perfectly fine gimmick um unfortunately the wrestling just just wasn't really good here you know there was things like arguing with fans and you know really slow wrestling he did pick up a bit to be fair and to give them the credit <coughs> there was a lot of excuse me there was a lot of really great kind of suicide dives and and leaps and they clearly put a lot of effort into the match and it's one of those where when you see clear effort and you want to and then you have to criticize it it feels a little bit awkward it just it just wasn't really a, a, a very good match you know and, and that's ultimately what we're here to review it just it just wasn't a good match next one 
is a really interesting match. It was only 11 minutes 48. And I know that now because WXW put a clock up on the on the screen. And it was Metahan and Rambo against the Greedy Souls. And there was something on the flagship. It was either this week or last week. I can't remember. And they talked about kind of refreshing yourself sometimes. And I've thought that about a, a lot of wrestlers because we've got very close to RevPro in the past few months. And that's the company that we've really focused on. And I'm, I'm not apologising for that. I'll say we shouldn't do that because they're the best promotion in Europe. So obviously we're going to talk about them and they're going to be a prominent part of the show. But the Greedy Souls run, the tag team run, I haven't really enjoyed, if I'm completely honest. It's been mired in all sorts of very corny, heelish stuff. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, the heel cookbook, where it feels like they've just flicked through a this-is-what-baddies-do-at-wrestling book and just pick random things. And I think it's a shame because both Danny Jones and Brendan White are wrestlers that I really like individually. You know, Brendan White's done some great stuff in Chaos Wrestling, and and I, I, I really think that they were hindered by that kind of gimmick and hindered by the work that they were doing in RevPro. And it was really great to see. Really great to see um, them come out here and be baby faces, yes, but just with things turned down a little bit. It didn't feel like the greedy souls here were playing at wrestling. It felt like they were actually just wrestlers touring the world, or Europe, <laughs> or as Spinal Tap would say, touring the world and elsewhere, playing their craft and just having a really solid 12-minute match. And I know that sounds like I'm damning it with faint praise, but I really, really enjoyed this match. They knew they had 12 minutes, so it was quick and it was speedy and, you know, the way they wrestled the staff, it was really interesting because it was quick tags. It felt like they were a tag team in a, in a, in a fresh environment trying to establish themselves and trying really hard to win. And Jones and White were, were tagging in and tagging out really quickly for the first sort of five minutes of this match. And really trying to show that, yeah, not only are they going to win this match, but they're skilled wrestlers and kind of, you know, in kayfabe I'm talking about here, you know, it was, it was, it was really interesting. It was like, it felt like this match, and I'm not saying it was a, you know, match of the year contender or anything like that. Don't get me wrong, it, it, it wouldn't get four stars. It's almost, I suppose to use the new Lanzarism, it would be like a three and three quarter plus match. I, I don't, or maybe less, I don't know. But it was refreshing. It felt like a tag team match on speed that they went, they had the quick opening exchange and then it was down to the beatdown that Danny Jones played fantastically. And then it was hot tags and it felt very much pure heel and face and it was a pros match, if that makes sense. Not pros as in, you know, writing, pros as in professionals. I don't. I, I just thought it was great. You know, White's body language in it was was just fantastic. And yeah, there were times when it was a bit clumsy. And yes, there was a bit of a ref bump and all that. But in twelve minutes, you don't mind stuff like that. And it was a match that I just really enjoyed. And I think part of that was the surprise, at, or the reminder rather than surprise, of just how good the Greedy Souls are. And I hope 
there's a lesson there that they can sort of bring back to RevPro because I think their working RevPro needs a little bit of a kick up the bum. Next up, we had a really interesting match. And if I'm honest, this is the match that convinced me to watch the show more than anything. When I saw this uh, match graphic, I was like, I've got to see it. And it was Bobby Guns against Yota Suji. And I've really been thinking about Yota Suji for the last few weeks. And especially since Shota Aminu seems to be, you know, he's kind of, Projection is being talked about quite a lot at the minute. And a lot of people are quite surprised how badly Shota Aminu did against Tetsuya Naito. Cards on the table and sort of full disclosure, I have to admit that I didn't watch the Aminu-Naito match. Um, I heard it was 35 minutes and people were giving it two stars. And, you know, much like Mr. Blobby, life's too short for that sort of stuff. And it seems like a lot of people are realising that kind of difficult truth that us Britrest fans have realised over the past couple of months. I, I don't really know if Shota Aminu has it. I don't know if he has it. I don't know if he's shown anything on on his excursion that would indicate that he's of the level that we hoped he could be. And this isn't a like, haha, we're right. You know, I think, you know, often retroactively we can go back and we can look at these things and we can say it should have been obvious. And I don't think that's the case with Shota Aminu. You know, he really did show a lot of star power and a lot of promise. And he seemed to have some something natural about him that his work was a little bit clumsy and his work was, especially in Rev Pro, was a little bit all over the shop. But he had a little bit of something, a little bit of star power. That kind of Tanahashi, Miyahara feel to his entrances. And it wasn't all the way there. Nobody thought he was Tanahashi the second straight away. But it felt like he was moving in that direction. And Shota Aminu just stopped moving. It felt like he was really happy to be at the place he was at, to be at the level that he was at, and never really improved. And there's a lot of natural comparisons for me between Shota Aminu and Yota Suji. Because you cannot say that about Yota Suji. I think Suji has been consistently and constantly improving all the way through this excursion. And look, let's be honest, he probably didn't want to come to the UK, did he? I don't know if he's living in Southampton or what. He probably would have much preferred to have gone to Mexico. But he's grasped this excursion. And you look at the worker he was when he arrived compared to the worker he is now. I think he's really fulfilled everything that an excursion is for. He's completely comfortable in his own skin. He's completely relaxed. And yeah, it's took him a while to get there. You know, the stuff with the fan, he doesn't really tend to do so much anymore. But he's he's leaned into that cocky grin, that sort of, heelish routine that look I'm above this yet also having really solid matches at the same time and really good matches and we're going to talk about two good matches and this Bobby Goods match was really good and he had a match at Live in London uh, 70 as well that I thought was really good but I think what people are going to find is when Yota Suji goes back home I think he's the star out of the two of them I think he's the one out of this class that have gone on excursion 
that is is really the one that we can we can do something with rather than Shota Umino. I I've got the same concerns that a lot of people concerns. Sorry, I, I don't mean to. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be. I'd like you, you know one of them people when you log onto Twitter on a Thursday and everyone's got deep concerns about AEW. You know, I, I didn't mean concerns. I've just got you know. I think there's a question mark hanging over Shota Umino's desire and, and and want for this. And I think that's why he's not progressed the way he should be because he just doesn't want to get perfect at his in-ring stuff. He, he's not bothered about when he runs up the ropes, whether he does it smoothly. And I don't think he's practised it enough. Either that or he's just not got any natural aptitude for it. But I think that Yota Suji absolutely does. This match was great because they started, uh, the guns match, because they just started punching each other straight away. They ran up to each other and it wasn't this corny kind of forearm exchange that we're seeing a lot nowadays. It was a very, very violent match. And it was funny because the match is a bit of a tired structure. And we're seeing this sort of structure a lot where, you know, it's the constant, you know, you hit me, then I hit you stuff. But there's just still something really captivating about two blokes battering each other. You know, a, 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 a really simple story of Yota Suji came out, was really arrogant, but underestimated Bobby Guns. And uh, they just smashed each other around the ring. And again, this isn't sort of any great match. This isn't one that you're going to be looking at on Yota Suji compilations in five years' time. But it was just really captivating all the way through, and I didn't look away. And I, I, I really do think Yota Suji is... He's, a, he's going to go back to Japan as a favourite of mine. You know, he's going to be one that, when I'm still at the phase, I know New Japan's back and it's great again now, but I'm still sort of in the habit of, of, of cherry-picking stuff. And I don't think I'm going to do that with the Otosuji. I think I'm going to watch everything. Next up, we had a uh, women's championship match. Uh, Amali versus Alice Inc. Uh I, I think Alice Inc. is really good, but the, the match was just a little bit clunky you know i don't really know how else to to describe it really it was a it was a seven minute match that kind of came and went i i don't know it was just it's it's one of those matches that when you're watching it you think i'm doing a podcast i'm going to be talking about this match and i have absolutely no idea what to say about it so you know it's it's a really tricky one so i guess that's my review i suppose i think that that speaks volumes Next up, we had the Unified World uh, Wrestling title match, the big one, Levaniel against Axel Tisha. I love Tisha. I, I really do think he's one of Europe's best wrestlers. He brings an authenticity to things. He feels like he's the sort of person that owns every room he's in. You know, like if you're in a room and you're, you're talking and having a debate about what to do, maybe, how to solve a problem, Axel Tisha is going to be the voice that you listen to. He's just got that air of credibility about him that I think is absolutely fantastic. Um, It's like a bizarre confidence, isn't it, that I wish I had. You know, the way he carries himself and that sort of thing. Lavagnol has got the maggot thing as well. I've realised that I should hate him. I shouldn't like this gimmick. You know, he comes to the ring and he's all like, I love you and I love everyone. And it's clearly a very constructed, thought-out gimmick. I don't know. I just really like it. I really like Lavagnol. And he's 
it, th- this was great because the start of this again, it, and it was a proper contest. And, and it seems like such a weird thing in a wrestling match to, to point out and to like. But I like these grappling exchanges that don't feel assisted, that don't feel like they're just going through some motions. It felt like they were really grappling each other. And Tisha went pricky really quickly. You know, because he, he, he's taking this match seriously. Little things like they do suplexes, but they'd be struggles on the suplexes. They'd be struggles to get them in position ready to do it. And I think they're the little things that Tisha brings to matches that not a lot of wrestlers do. It's that extra cream on top, that extra little layer of thought that infests every little movement that I think was was really, really good. I think it was also really important that Lavaniel was working from the bottom here because this that kind of covers up a lot of sins, you know? Because Levaniel isn't a great wrestler, really, by any stretch. He's definitely a little bit more about the gimmick and a little bit more about the character. (laughs) And that's fine. But it does really force these kind of match structures where he has to work from the bottom to sort of cover up those shortcomings. I'm not kind of panicking about that. It is weird to have your champion in that position. But it's it's covered up when you're against someone like Axel Tisha. You know, covers up a multitude of sins with him. Something like that. Um, They kind of played off the victory as being a bit of a surprise as well. Like Levaniel, he's just, he's just clinging on. And uh, Tisha battered him at the end. You know, he did that thing where he, he pretended to, to hold his hand up and, and present him with the belt and then just clobbered him in the back of the head. And I, again, I, I, I as much as I rail against pro wrestling cliches, I think when they're done really well, it works. And this was simple, direct and to the point. He just got clubbed and then we moved on. So then we're at the main event. And this is the cage match, and it's they do this every year, and it, it's a cage match, but it's kind of like war games, but with one ring. Um, what I thought was weird about this is I can't remember whether they've done this before. I know I've seen them do this sort of match, but what really annoys me about this war game style match is that they never utter the phrase "enter the match beyond." And I feel like, I don't know about you, but that's a phrase that has entered into my lexicon and my vocabulary. And I say it all the time. Like if I'm preparing tea, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, I keep coughing. So if there's lots of like stopping and starting, I've still had that cough for about three months now. Um, so <laughs> I apologise if any of them slip through. But yeah, if I'm preparing tea and I'm leaving the meat to rest, I've entered the preparation beyond. Uh, you know what I mean? Just any of these little sort of last bits. And no, it's weird that nobody knows what I'm talking about and nobody ever asked me, which I think is a bit of a damning indictment of myself and my personality, that I just say these things that people clearly think is strange. Like the other one is uh, cleaner, I got this. <laughs> you know, do you remember that tweet? Cleaner, I got this. And I say that all the time. Uh, and yeah, no one, no one seems to ask me why or where it comes from. Uh, but yet they never say they've entered the match beyond. Uh, but this was Tiani, Ego, Blank and Senza Volto uh, against the Arrows of Hungary and Dreisker. And on paper, that's just fantastic, isn't it? I really like Ego, Blanc and Senza Volto, the French adores. 
I think they're both fantastic. I think they're both criminally underrated. And I, I really think Peter Tiani is one to watch. He doesn't seem to get any buzz outside of mainland Europe. Or unless you're watching these promotions, he doesn't seem to be talked about. He doesn't seem to have made any impact anywhere else. And when you look at thing, people like Leon Slater, who are really bursting out and having these breakouts, and who absolutely should, by the way, it's not a kind of a choice. I'm not saying that Peter Tiani should and Leon shouldn't. Of course, they both should. But I think Leon Slater is something that, that people are sleeping on. Uh, I, I really... I'm looking forward to the day when he gets those big eyes on him because I think he's absolutely fantastic. Um, so they do those things where, you know, like you would in a war games where two wrestlers start and then they draw lots and then one team has the advantage and they take it in turns to go into the ring and, and, and you can't actually win until the end. Um. Any analysis of this match is going to have to be dominated by the Robert Dreisker injury. Um, at one point in this match, Dreisker runs to Tiani in the corner. Uh, Tiani lifts the boots up, as they've probably done a thousand times, and as we see in pretty much every wrestling match in the last 40 years, and it caves Dreisker's skull in. It just hits him wrong, and it, it injures him quite severely and it was a little bit uncomfortable to see to be honest with you because we, we didn't really realise in the moment what had happened he was just looking awful he just it's, it's weird you know it's really strange to look at it I think it says a lot about wrestler psychology and, and wrestling and how wrestlers work in general I think for two reasons one isn't it strange how the big injuries the huge injuries always seem to happen on the everyday basic moves. You know, we were watching a Will Ospreay match this week with Ganso Bombs, and they never seem to injure anyone, unless I'm missing something obvious. But this, running into the corner and getting kicked in the face like you've done a thousand times, causes an injury. And a, a, a really quite devastating one as well. And it was weird to watch the way Dreisker recovered because he just seemed to go into autopilot. I mean, there were a couple of moments where uh, Peter Tiani was was leaning over him and was clearly confused about what to do. And they were they were kind of going through the um, the motions in a lot of ways. But then Dreisker would stand up and almost go into autopilot and just do like the next little section of this match. Like I say, almost as if it just it just came completely naturally to him. Um, it it was really fascinating to watch in a very kind of sick and twisted way. That 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 is that is absolutely, you know, if you squeamish, I, I would absolutely not go and watch this match because it was absolutely awful. Um, it it broke his skull. He actually had a broken skull. He's put his. Uh, x-ray up on on twitter and you can see under his eyeball sort of from the bottom of one of his eyeballs to kind of the top of his nose that bone on the eye socket is caved in uh so he's had to have surgery on his cheekbone his upper jaw his nose is fractured 
he looks a mess. You know, this is re- a, like a big injury. Um, so obviously everything that happened after that was completely up in the air and you know you can't really then go and look at this match and, and give it a star rating because it, it completely threw everything and I think the rest of the workers did quite well but it, it, it's just one of those things they were obviously shaken by what they'd seen uh, they did well to carry on they did an announcement part way through and it was it was you know it was it was strange because they were really committed to the kayfabe of it you know they kayfabe this thing of you know the the, uh, <laughs> the 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 officials have allowed Robert Dreisker to go and get medical attention and and all this, and it's one of those moments where you just think we don't need to do the kayfabe bit here. You know we all know, like <laughs> we all know what's happened here, and it, and it's absolutely fine. But I'm really excited to say that I think WXW put on a great show, and I, I think if this is going to be the year of WXW on Eurograps Express, I think we've chosen a great year. I'm, I'm really excited to see more of it. Um, you know, that main event was the... If that had been good, it would have been a great show, but it wasn't good because of just one of those things, you know, and it happens, and it's amazing to me that it doesn't happen more often, but it happened on this show, unfortunately, and, and that is what it is. So that's WXW, Back to the Roots. Let's go a little bit closer to my home and talk about RevPro Live at London 70. So we're off to London, uh, Live at London 70, and I'm going to say something that I never thought I would say and I think it's important to keep an open mind and long time listeners will know what I'm about to say is absolute proof that I am always willing to keep an open mind and I'm always willing to change my opinion when presented with contradictory evidence I do get stuck in the mud on things I do shout about things and go on about particular particular niggles too much but I'm gonna I'm gonna prove that I am not stoic, I'm not stubborn about anything. Because the opening match to Live at London 70 was Robbie X against Kid Lycos. And I thought Kid Lycos was fantastic in this match. I thought he was fantastic. Kid Lycos, I think for me in a lot of ways, has kind of become a personification of everything that bugs me about Britrest. You know, the Tuesday night graps, the wink-wink, nudge-nudge, that I don't really take wrestling seriously and I'm going to lark around kind of feel. And I I never appreciate that because, you know, wrestling's my favourite thing. You know, I like lots of things. I love board games. I love Warhammer. I love synthesizers. I love golden age science fiction but the best thing in the world is wrestling and i try not i'm not trying to be gatekeeping but there's just something about that wink wink nudge nudge style of wrestling that always wound me up and lycos always seemed to be at the epitome of that at at the salient end of it and the reason why i think it wound me up so much about it being Kid Lycos in particular, is that he is a fantastic wrestler. When 
And there'd be matches where he'd prove it. Many matches where he'd wrestle for 15 minutes and you'd be watching one of the best wrestlers in the country doing some amazing, exciting, interesting things. Just great junior wrestling, cruiserweight wrestling. That's my favourite type of wrestling, I think. But you'd always have that niggling doubt in the back of your mind that the baking tray was going to come out or they were going to rip off some spot from Dragon Gate that we've seen a million times. Yet, this match didn't have any of that. You know, you'd, it was Robbie X against Lycos just wrestling at absolute breakneck speed. And it was such a weird thing to have in this match because... Everything they did was fast, but then there was slow moments. It was like this weird elastic band going back and forth, and it kept me on the edge of my seat watching all the way through. And it was so clear that Kid Lycos was in full effort mode. It was weird because the crowd weren't really reacting to this. It might be because, believe it or not, that the sound on this show was absolutely shocking. It started off with Andy in full Mr. Blobby mode with distorted screaming. So maybe it's just that they weren't really being mic properly and picked up properly. But they were killing themselves on this and Lycos in particular. And he was great. You know, the, the exchanges and the reversals were absolutely fantastic. And I I, I I just thought that I was reminded of, of how Lycos got to where he is because he was a great wrestler. And he is a great wrestler. The story of this match has left me feeling a lot of hope for the future when it comes to Kid Lycos. Because Gideon Gray was back on commentary and he was a treat. He dropped an absolutely fantastic line when um, Robbie X did some... He did a move. I can't remember what it was. But he did this move and then he said... Just an absolute brilliant line on commentary. Shades of Giselle Shaw. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh because Giselle Shaw's great. But there's just something about using that Maro Ranallo line, isn't there? That shade of... Do you know, we were talking before about... Um, using little phrases that you pick up in wrestling fandom that that are so niche that absolutely no one gets it. The Maro Ronaldo one, shades of whatever, you know, just, just <laughs> when when you think of a good one, you know. Um, but yeah, the Gideon Gray ended up coming out and he tried to give Kid Lycos his walking stick, his cane, to use as a weapon. And Lycos turned it down. And this match ended up with that kind of double baby face show of respect at the end. And like, I mean, I, I have to admit, I did panic a little bit because as he dropped down, Lycos kind of put his hand up and waved over. And we know that Lycos is prone to injury or has had a lot of injury trouble in the past. And as, as much as I don't necessarily always like his style, obviously I don't want the man himself to be injured. Um, so there was a little bit, he just, he, he wanted some water and he was, he, he, he pulled his mask up a little bit and there was this moment that looked like he'd been through a bit of a change. That even though he'd lost the match, it felt like he'd had a, a change of attitude. You know, he turned down the weapon and he, he stood on his own two feet and came close to winning the Cruiserweight title. And it was a really great match. And it's funny because this was a match that when it was announced, I was I was dreading. I just, I, I, I didn't want to watch it at all. 
And I, I, like I say, I loved it. It was one of my favourite matches of the fortnight. And I, I, I really hope that this is a turning point for kid like us and we just get to see him wrestle because he's a great wrestler. And he proved that. I mean, he's proved it before, but he he, uh, he, he absolutely solidified it in this match for me and I thought it was great. Next up, we had a singles match. It was uh, Chris Bronson against Dan Maloney. Um, Chris Bronson isn't a wrestler that I know, if I'm completely honest with you. I don't, or I don't think I do. So I don't know if I'm... Uh, dropping the ball a little bit here, and he's a really obvious one. Uh, but I think he's one of the wrestlers that replied to uh, Will Ospreay's open challenge. You know, and a lot of the... I mean, I meant to talk about that in the last episode. I actually forgot, but he ended up... You know, he did this open challenge, and we just ended up with a series of of promos by wrestlers that made you realise how far we've got to go as a scene. You know, just awful awful promos um really corny amateur acting pro uh, um, promo videos um but chris bronson here was really good you know obviously dan maloney's great but chris bronson is this big hoss wrestler it what stood out to me in this is again this confusion with the red pro stories that they're telling and we're going to talk about this later on, but it feels like they've been really building towards Dan Maloney against Luke Jacobs. Well, actually, it doesn't feel like it. They have. They've been ex- explicitly building towards this. And they've been talking about Dan Maloney doing it as a cruiserweight. Yet they've got him here against Chris Bronson, who's a big lad. Uh, and, and they were announcing it as a hoss fight. You know, I can't remember his name. The guy that does the little match introductions they do sometimes. He was talking about it like a hoss fight. So it was just a bit, I don't know, I don't get it. This was a, a really good match. I mean, Maloney's just power, you know, it was it was constant suplex ending in punches. And I thought Chris Bronson was really, really impressive. And I, I wonder if they've just kind of booked themselves into a bit of a corner here by mentioning weight classes. And almost in a way, I think, if you want to move away from that and you realise that it's a bit of a mistake to have have made such a massive deal out of it, I think probably the best thing to do is to just drop it. You know, I, I don't think anybody's really invested in the story of Red Pro weight classes. So if you were to just move on and, and, and do something else, I, I, I don't think anybody would have any particular objections to that. So that that's the way I would do it. But I thought Chris Bronson here was really impressive. And I, I I think what what's more salient with this is that it felt like something fresh. You know, he's a wrestler that we've not seen before. We've got a little bit of a shake up in the card because the cards have become very stagnant. Um which Red Pro do do you know they go through cycles don't they where they'll have extended periods of time where they're just booking the same people all the time and they'll wear out that roster and then shake it up a bit and then wear out that roster and then shake it up a bit so if you're going to book like that there are going to be times when you're going to have sort of fallow periods in terms of excitement but it just feels like this particular fallow period has gone on a little bit too long and it's great to see that it's coming to an end I think with with some exciting new wrestlers around next up we had Greedy Souls against Callum Newman and JJ Gale um, Souls were back to playing heels and I think it was strange for me because I watched the two shows in back to back 
So I saw Greedy Souls be really refreshing and exciting in WXW. And it was kind of back to the same old, but actually I thought it was a lot better here. I think that Greedy Souls uh, are now moving into, they're still heels and they're still, you know, showing off to the audience and, and, but they're just being heels. They're wrestling in a much more appropriate way, a much more straight-faced way. And I think that's absolutely the way to go. It just makes it much more real and much more interesting. What surprised me with this, and it shouldn't have done really, is Callum Newman. I think both Callum Newman and JJ Gale are two wrestlers who are being slept on a little bit in some circles. And I think they're being overshadowed by Leon Slater in some ways. But I think for them, that's actually a good thing. Leon Slater is probably a few steps ahead of them in terms of his charisma. And I think what that's doing is giving time for Callum Newman, but particularly JJ Gale, to just bubble a little bit. You know, Brit Ress is at the point now where we have to look to the future. We constantly have to look at what's coming next and what sometimes that results in is us pushing us, as if I have anything to do with it, but promoters pushing things a little bit too soon. I mean, actually, do you know what I'm saying as if I have anything to do with it? As a Brit Rest fan, I think we're all guilty of that sometimes. We want to see the scene revitalised and brought back and, and great again. And when you do see something that's good, you just grip onto it with both hands. Kind of like the Sami Zayn stuff, isn't it? You know, in WWE. There's, you know, it's that on an extreme level. They're so devoid of good stuff. Good stuff is so rare. And good stories in that company are so few and far between that when a good one comes along, you just, you just grip onto it with both hands and end up over-egging the pudding. They end up, almost exposing its weaknesses. Because you watch that Sami Zayn storyline, and it's good. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's it's bad. I don't think it is. And I'm, I'm a very, very casual WWE viewer. I drop in when it's convenient from time to time. And the people who watch it have taken that stuff that's good and all them Twitter threads and analysis and have, have wrung it out and left you with the bare bones and tried to analyse it and reveal the bare bones of this story. And ultimately, all they've done is exposed the areas where it doesn't really deliver. And there was definitely a habit of us doing that in Britrest, wasn't there? When something good came along, we just leapt on it. And, and I think... There's very few people that have managed to escape that. I think the Young Guns did. Oh, actually, I say the Young Guns did. Ethan Allen's retired, hasn't he, unfortunately? I think he's he's packed it in. But Luke Jacobs managed to overcome it because they were really pushed too quick too soon. But a lot of the wrestlers, you know, like a Big Guns Joe, who were pushed too quick too soon, where are they now? It doesn't work. And what Red Pro would be really good at with people like Callum Newman and JJ Gale is letting them bubble letting them move up naturally and slowly. And it's really, really benefited them. Callum Newman and JJ Gale, in a lot of ways, are very similar. But there's a very big difference between the two that I really like. Callum Newman, Osprey's protege, does everything perfectly. 
you know, all these flips, all these moves, they're done so smoothly and with intention, and everything comes across exactly how it was planned to do, and it's really impressive to see. And J.J. Gale's kind of the opposite. He never botches anything. There's never anything that, you know, stands out as being really egregious. But he's on the edge all the time. He's a little bit more raw, and you can see the edges a little bit more with him. You know, he's a little bit more ruffled. And I'd like them both for that reason, you know, for those different reasons. I think they're both great um, in that sense. And I, I think they've been a really great tag team. And I thought the Souls in this match were really good with them. One of my criticism of the Souls um, before this has been, with faster wrestlers, they can't always keep up and things end up being a little bit clumsy. That that was really prominent on the GCW weekend when they were wrestling a lot of smaller wrestlers, small, fast wrestlers. The, the, it, 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 it exposed them a little bit, but they've definitely improved in that area. And I thought Danny Jones in particular was great in this one. And, what, and one thing he was really good at is reacting to the little fight backs that... Um, the, the, the smaller wrestlers would do. He'd almost be offended by the fight back. You know, he'd almost be like, look, you know, your young boys, your little flippy-do guys, you know, you don't fight back against me. And he was able to play that really well, and I thought that was great. Um, Souls, again, they've really found a rhythm with their fast tags, and they're a team that I was, in 2022, really critical of, but they've started off 2023 with a real bit of juice behind them, and I, I, I really think they're going to have a great year. I'm really excited to see more of it. Um, they won the match, and they were pricks at the end. They won, and they were arrogant sods, and I love that. You know, that's how I want them to be. I don't want them to... Do you know what I think you should do? If you're going to be a heel who cheats, you should kind of sneak away like the repo man. Because I find it insulting otherwise. When heels cheat and then... You know, there's that dramatic irony that's missing. You know, that they almost want to put that dramatic irony that they're, they want to pretend that they haven't cheated and... We've also, I'm explaining this awfully, aren't I? But you know what I mean. Here, they were just dominant. They won and they held their hands up. And I thought that was great. I thought that's exactly how they should be. What I liked as well about this was the was the interview at the end. They interviewed Callum uh, Newman and JJ Gale at the end. And they just split up amicably. And I, I like that for a couple of reasons. One, it's a little bit of slice of reality, isn't it? That's really refreshing in wrestling. Nobody got thrown through a barbershop window. Nobody, you know, hit anyone with a chair or wasn't this overly dramatic thing. It was just the two of them having an honest conversation and saying, look, it, it's this tag team. We thought it'd be something to put us on the map and elevate us a little bit. And we could, it was a division where we thought we could do well. Turns out we've lost seven matches now. Um, perhaps it's best we we went our separate ways and, and, and went back to wrestling individually. And they shook hands and went in different directions. And Andy on the commentary said, you know, they're still going to train together. They're still friends. They still value each other. They, you know, they've not fallen out. They've just made this decision not to be a tag team anymore. 
I think, yeah, that's great for two reasons. One, as I said, it's a slice of life. That's how, how things happen, isn't it? That's, that, that is how it would, it would go most of the time. But secondly, if you have that as the norm and you establish that as the norm, the big betrayals then mean more. When you have the same story over and over again, it's diminishing returns. So to have a tag team just split up like that is, is really refreshing. Uh, I think Redpro are one of the few companies in the world with the nows, the brains and the balls to actually do that. Next up, we had Eddie Dennis against Michael Oku. Two wrestlers who were a little bit lost, if we're honest. You know, Oku, understandably so, he's just come off this Magnus magnum opus story. You know, talking about a tag team splitting up by just going the two separate ways. That's not what happened <laughs> with Michael Oku, was it, by a long stretch. It was a huge story told over the course of a year. <laughs> and that's... <coughs> And that story's just come to an end. And Eddie Dennis, I suppose, technically, he's a little bit more... Um, he's got a little bit more of an inbuilt story that they started with Osprey, haven't they? They've got that thing of them moving up through... You know, he's come back from NXT and he wants to prove himself and move back up the rank from the bottom. It it's a weird one because it's one of those stories that I think, yeah, that's really the only story you can tell me, Eddie Dennis. I don't really know if I want to see it. I, I just, I don't know what else I'd do with Eddie Dennis, so it feels like a weird thing to criticise. Yet at the same time, it's not a story that particularly excites me. And Eddie Dennis isn't a wrestler that has ever particularly excited me. I always thought he was much better in a tag team. You know, he was much better with uh, Mark Andrews. Uh, it was interesting the way they did this match actually I thought they told a really good story because Oku essentially mocked him and patronised him you know during the opening exchange Oku was essentially trying to show that he was a, he was a step ahead you know that he was he was able to out wrestle him and he, he had this cocky grin about him while he was doing it and he was a bit you know like all right you know we'll be serious now we'll be serious now after certain exchanges and i thought that was really interesting and i think this idea of oku leaning heelish i mean he wasn't healed at all by any stretch but him having that nuance i think that's what oku, oku does really well he has nuance and he's able to express multiple levels to things and, 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 and be a bit more real that I think's really, really great. I mean, ultimately, this wound Eddie Dennis up and lit a fire under him, and I'm not sure it landed. I don't know if you were there. I know a few people who listen, uh, Chris and Cole, go to these shows and, and, and Ian. Like, was it... Was it as flat as it seemed? Because the crowd seemed really flat on VOD and... It might be a, a, a classic Red Pro sound issue, I don't know. But so much of it just seemed to, to, to not land at all. And I, I don't know, I just... It, uh, I, I don't know, like, it'd be interesting to, to hear what it was actually like in the room. There was a promo at the end of this where Eddie Dennis basically says, well, I've had enough now, you know, and I, it's time to kind of... Lay it on the lay it all on the line. It's time to go all in, and if it doesn't work, then just quit. You know, I, he mentioned he'd, he'd pursued his dream job and he lost his dream job, and 
he, he feels, you know, disillusioned by what's going on. And he's basically said if he doesn't win the Rumble at the next big York Hall show, he's going to retire. Which is a, a weird one, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if he's planning on retiring anyway and he's going to do it in a Rev Pro Rumble. Seems like a weird place to do it, doesn't it? Because Eddie Dennis is over. You know, as much as he's not my cup of tea, he absolutely should be booked because he's he's over with that crowd and they really like him. But is that just giving away the result of the Rumble? Because I don't feel like he, he would retire. You know, Eddie Dennis retiring in the Red Pro world would be a big deal and it would take away the shine of whoever does win the Rumble. So then the alternative is is he going to win the Rumble? I, I don't know. He's just put a weird feel over the over that Rumble for me. Uh, I mean, I'm not hugely excited about the Rumble anyway, but it just it's added a wrinkle to it that just makes me feel a bit. I don't think there is. It makes the result obvious, but then it 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 dominates the thought of the Rumble, doesn't it? It, it makes you only look at it for one particular thing. So, I don't know, we'll see. And maybe it's because I'm just not particularly enamoured with Eddie Dennis. If you were Eddie Dennis's number one fan, then maybe you'd be really into that. I don't know, and I know he does have a lot of fans, so, you know, we'd have to see. Next up, it was Connor Mills versus Luke Jacobs, and we, we sort of alluded to this earlier on. Excuse me, so I apologise again for the coughing. Uh, we sort of alluded to this earlier on um, when we talked about Dan Maloney. This was a really strange match because he was utterly dominant from Mills. Utterly dominant. And if I was going to write out Luke Jacobs, if I was going to have him go away for a while, this is kind of how I would do it. You know, he just got battered by Connor Mills and lost. And yeah, obviously there was fight backs. It wasn't it wasn't a squash by by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't know. Really, really weird. Especially because it feels like they've been built into this match with Dan Maloney. And again, I I've made the same mistake that I made before. It's not that I feel like they're building towards a match with Dan Maloney. They've sp- specifically and explicitly built towards a match with Dan Maloney. And yet, to me, this felt really weird with Jacobs. It wasn't like he stepped up to heavyweight and got dominated, and then he's going to have this moment where he thinks, oh my word, I'm going to have to really you know, change. I'm not ready for this style of wrestling. Because Mills is a junior himself. Don't know, I'm just really confused by this one. I don't know what the story is here. I don't know what the play is. Let's have a look at some upcoming cards. Is, is Jacob's booked? Let's let's do this live on air. You can listen to me click my keys. That'll make captivating audio, won't it? Uh, Rev Pro. I bet they, I, they don't put full cards on, do they? So we've got Osprey Demo in Cardiff. That'll be an interesting one. I mean, big demo. I've had enough of him. But if he's wrestling Will Ospreay, who knows? Danny Luna, Sky Smithson, Danny Jones, Robbie X, Lycos Jim, Gabriel Kidd against Oku in Birmingham. That'll be good. Uh, oh, Leon Slater against Francesco Akira. Amazing. Very much into that one. Can't see any mention of a Luke Jacobs match coming up. 
really interesting. Has he been announced as a Rumble entrant? Oh, he was at... Oh, no. Ha! Listen to me. I'm literally talking all this nonsense. Uh, they're wrestling next week. It's Dan Maloney against Luke Jacobs in Southampton. What a weird way to go into that match. I'd have put that match at York Hall as well. Because that's got the potential to be a great, great match. I think it's very strange at the minute Red Pro booking. He's booking like a toddler who's into this shiny thing one minute and then the next minute it's, you know, one minute he's into Power Rangers and the next minute they're into um, Thunderbirds. You know, it's, it's a bit all over the shop, isn't it? What a, what a strange what a strange way to do things. Anyway, uh, next up we had a match that I wasn't particularly excited for. It was the Southside's Women's Championship. And I've talked quite a bit about how confused I've been by the women's, the booking with that and and why they've kept this Southside Championship around for so long. Yet at the same time, it's been kind of recently been understandable because Alex Windsor's been injured. But this was Jody Threat against Danny Luna. I, I don't really know Jody Threat. I have to be honest with you. She's not a wrestler that I knew particularly well. She's Canadian. Um, and she comes out and she's wacky. You know, she's running around and she's a ball of energy and... You know how I feel about Wacky. It's not for me. And I thought when I've seen Danny Luna before, I thought she's she's been all right. You know, she's been a decent enough wrestler. But I have to say, I, I'm a lot more excited about Danny Luna after this match. I thought she was really good. It was speedy. It was hard hitting. Um, I, I thought it was, you know, transitions were a little bit clunky, if I'm being really honest. But I thought it was great, you know, it was it was a really fast, great little match and I, I, it was one of those matches that I think Danny Luna needed. She needed a great little match. She didn't need a big epic where it was a main event, you know, you need to build her up a little bit more. I think she can do that, but you can't just throw people into those positions when they've not got over and I think this match really did get her over. And excitingly... Sky Smithson came back at the end and has now challenged, so I'm I'm really into that. I think the women's division has really had a little bit of a of a change at the minute, so that that's great. Next up, we had my favourites, the Arrows of Hungary. I love the Arrows of Hungary, and I tell you what, I love even more. I love the fact that this was the Arrows of Hungary and not Ambos. You know, they came out with the masks and the Hunga traditional Hungarian dress and just looked absolutely terrifying. Uh, I really, I, 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 again, talking about things that are underrated, I think Arrows of Hungary are absolutely up there. Um, and they're against Sunshine Machine. Um, I think there's a little bit here of Sunshine Machine, again, hanging around a little bit too long. I think, they need to go away from Red Pro for a while. Uh, or at least do what Greedy Souls have done and go away and have a little think about how they work because I feel like I've seen it a lot. But this was a really, really good match. Icarus's selling was amazing in this. Icarus's selling is superb. You know, the way he, he can play being dazed and out of it, yet constantly reaching for that tag. There was huge moments in this where he was being beaten down, and it was it was strange because Sunshine Machine wrestled like the heels here, but they were yes they were beating down 
you know, somebody who was trying to get a hot tag, but they were doing it with stomps quite often and double teams. And, you know, if you were to put, if you'd never seen them before and you skipped the entrances, you might think Sunshine Machine were heels the way they wrestled. And like, Icarus just played it great. And this was, you know, a really traditional tag. Um, it, you know, it wasn't anything that's going to change the world. It's not anything that's going to make a match of the year list, but it was fantastic. And Arrow's a hungry one. So maybe Sunshine Machine are on the way out, but we've said that before, haven't we? Um, I don't hate Sunshine Machine, by the way. I feel like I have to justify that every time. I really like Sunshine Machine. I just think we need a little bit of distance from them. So say when Velocities and Aussie Open come back, they're going to feel fresh because we've had that little bit of distance. And that's what we need um, with Sunshine Machine ultimately at this point. Next up, we had uh, Gabe Kidd against Yota Suji. And talking about people that need to shake things up, I don't know where I stand on this kind of match now. And I hinted at this before with the Bobby Gunn's Yota Suji match. But I think Gabe Kidd is a victim sometimes of having very similar matches a lot. It's always the you're going to test my metal and I'm going to test yours and we'll punch each other and we'll, you know, I'll let you hit me and then you'll let me hit you and we'll... Uh, it sounds like a weird thing to criticise because I do like that style of match. You know, Shibata is one of my all-time favourite wrestlers and he was the master of that style. You know, Ishii, another one of my all-time favourite wrestlers, master of that style. And... I think Gabe Kidd is really good at it. I just feel like now I'm at the point where when I watch a Gabe Kidd match, I kind of know what I'm getting. And I'm not doubting his effort. I'm not doubting how good he is at it. But it just needs shaking up a little bit, I think. And and I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen. I mean, I say all that. And they were just slapping each other. You know, and I was into it. When they started slapping each other, I just thought, yeah, this is great. You know, so as much as I think Kid needs to take that next step a little bit, the rug of the ladder he's on at the minute is he's, he's still great. You know, uh, he's still a really exciting wrestler to watch. It just needs shaking up. And I know I'm not the only person who thinks this. I've spoken to a few people who have kind of echoed my thoughts regarding that and I'm sure he will you know he's still very much a developing wrestler game kid and it's it's I think he'll get there again we said before about Yota Suji who's I mean he did this head scissors a head scissor takedown in this match that he's clearly picked up from his trip to Mexico that was absolutely mental it came out of nowhere and he, he I don't even really understand how the flip worked it was one of those things that I saw and was really glad now that the new RevPro streaming service lets you skip back 10 seconds because I needed to see it again. It was like a head scissors, but it had like a twist to it and it, it moved in a slight... I, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe it, but it was brilliant. I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, really good main event. It's, again, like I say... If I'm saying Gabe Kid versus Yota Suji, you pretty much know what that's going to look like, which takes a little bit off it, I think. But it was still really great. What was interesting about this was the post-match, because Ricky Knight Jr. came out and dropped a promo. 
Um, and Ricky Knight Jr. was doing this kind of work shoot thing on Twitter where he's complaining that he wasn't booked. Uh, and it was a bit it was a bit strange, you know. We didn't know whether it was real or not. Uh, but it turns out it's part of a work. He came out here and said, you know, I was injured and the second I got cleared to wrestle, Red Pro left me on red. But there's another company in London that booked me straight away. Obviously, he's talking about progress. Uh, and I thought that was a, that's a really interesting story, that, isn't it? Because if he's staying in RevPro, he's essentially building himself up to sort of slag off progress as part of that story. And I don't know how they're going to feel about it. I mean, maybe they're too busy doing karaoke with Lana Austin and selling package holidays to care. I mean, that, you know, they... I genuinely think they care more about package holidays than they do. They care about wrestling. And Red Pro care more about wrestling, so maybe they've not even noticed, which is fine. But it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out, won't it? What I liked about this as well is that Gideon Gray came out and there was this brilliant moment. And I, like I say, I don't like comedy. I don't like stupid wrestling. But there's something about Gideon Gray who can do it absolutely perfectly. And he, he attacked... RKJ from behind. And RKJ absolutely and completely no-sold it. He didn't even react. He just sort of stood there and looked over his shoulder. And RKJ put his hands up to his mouth <laughs> as if to say, like, oh, no, what have I done? And I, he played it perfectly, and I thought it was a great way to end it. And then before we knew it, RKJ had put Yota Suji in... Um, in that, I don't know what you call it. Uh, RKJ put Yota Suji. So what am I talking about? RKJ put Great Oak. Oh my word. RKJ. See, a more professional podcaster will go back and change that, but this is real and raw. Um, <laughs> he, he put Gideon Gray in the corner and did that thing where he, he kind of stands on the middle rope and holds them in the corner. Do you know what I mean? It, it's hard to describe, but you, if you know it, you know it. Um and clearly the build is going to be to RKJ against Great O'Khan. And I assume RKJ winning the belt back. Um, which is, is a story I'm there for, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm into it. Uh, I think that'd be a really great... I mean, it'd be interesting if he did it in, in, in Japan as well, wouldn't it? That'd be a, a weird one. Uh, it's happened before where they've had British title matches in Japan, so you never know. Uh, but overall, I thought this was a really interesting card from Red Pro, a really good show, you know, there wasn't any kind of match of the month contender on it, there wasn't any matches on it that you're really going to write home about, but the whole show was good and there was lots on it that I really enjoyed I think we started to see a little bit of movement in Red Pro now, we started to see a little bit of change, and we can't expect Andy to do things quickly because that's just not how he books but we started to see movement in the right direction and, and that's really exciting. So can't wait for the Cardiff, the Southampton, the Birmingham shows and then we're building towards a York Hall. And as always, your old Graps Express is reviewing them all. Let's wrap things up. Well, that's it for another show, another fortnight. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks to talk about more exciting things happening on the British and European wrestling scene. Probably more Red Pro, hopefully more WXW. Oh, I've just realised, isn't that 1PW show coming up? Let's have a look. It's soon, isn't it? 
where is it? When's it on? No turning back. On the 18th, yeah, 18th of Feb. So, yeah, we will have a 1PW review um, from the Doncaster Dome at the, uh, oh, no, it's at the Engine Shed in Lincoln. 1800-seat arena in Lincoln. It's got Will Ospreay, John Morrison, Rhino, Ruby Soho, Taya Valkyrie, all the stars. Hey, how, how far away is Lincoln from Salford? This car's looking pretty good. It's got the Rascals against Man Like Doris and Leon Slater. That could be a really good match. Mickey James against Lizzie Evo. All right, that is what it is. Uh, what else have we got on here? Oh, they've done that thing where they're kind of promoting two shows at once. I find this really annoying. Oh, no, I remember. Cara Noir against Davy Richards. What a waste of Davy Richards. Oh, Will Ospreay against Robbie X. Oh, yeah, I think this show might be really good. I think this show is... this. It's, it's not going to be, is it? It's 1PW. It's going to be like... Do you remember their wrestle cult... Um, uh, what they call uh, what culture shows where they book like Tomohiro Ishii and you think, God, oh, this is going to be amazing. This is going to be the best wrestling I've ever seen in this country. And you end up walking away with a pocket full of three star specials. <laughs> you know, that's probably what it's going to end up like, isn't it? But anyway, we're going to be the ones to find out because we're going to review it on next on uh, next fortnight show. So have a lovely couple of weeks, and I'll uh, don't forget to get in the Discord, um, get in there, talk about whatever cheese you've had over the last couple of weeks. That's what I'm going to be doing, uh, and I will see you then. See you in a bit. My name is Ricardo. I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, Go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí.